0: Hello, and welcome to Walking the Labyrinth. My name is Keith Burton. Over the past three decades, I've worked with many of the world's largest companies on employee communication and employee engagement strategies. I have a true passion for this work. It's based on my interactions with thousands of senior executives, frontline managers, and hourly employees. We've created this podcast to take you inside the world of employee communication as well as to address the larger issues that are at work globally in the public relations profession. We'll interview top leaders and communication executives on the challenges they face. We'll share case studies and examples of great programs being developed to answer the needs that companies have today. We'll take a look at business, social, cultural, and political trends that influence our work and how we communicate with and engage others. And now let's journey together into the labyrinth on our path toward discovering new ideas and inspiration. When we talk about communicating change, what do we mean? It's about giving people answers to important questions they have at the time of a major change effort, as in a post-merger consolidation, a downsizing or restructuring move, a corporate rebranding effort, or an operational change that may run the gamut from addressing quality issues to adopting a new IT platform or even a new strategic operating plan. Employees want to know how a plan change will affect their company now and in the future. They want to know how the change will affect their job and the work they do every day. They want to know how they'll be supported during a change. They want to know if their employer will keep score the same way as before or if they'll change the rules for how their performance and contributions are evaluated and they want to know who is leading the change and if they're truly committed to seeing it through or if it will be another flavor of the month. Employees tell us achieving organizational clarity during change is increasingly difficult and remains the top challenge for leaders in their reports. The current landscape is littered with challenges that leaders and their people face every day. These include the following. Structural challenges, with global companies growing in number and the proliferation of employees from different functions, countries, time zones, and cultures coming together to solve a common problem in what is known as a matrix leadership model where there may be no line of sight to management. Workforce challenges characterized by information overload, the 24-7, 365 pace of the workplace, the challenge of finding skilled workers, growing generational differences, and troubling morale issues among disenfranchised employees. Media challenges marked by bad press, misinformation, global media consolidation, and what author Andrew Keene characterized as the rise of citizen journalists in his entertaining book on Silicon Valley, The Cult of the Amateur, how today's internet is killing our culture. Product challenges, which include recalls, shortages, quality issues, distribution problems, and the need for applying new technologies in how we innovate, test, Manufacture and market products and services. Marketplace challenges. We have competition that is ever-changing and everywhere. In fact, as I work with one client in China, they told me that in one week, they may have a new entrant to the market. Two weeks later, another entrant would go away. Another challenge, obviously, in the marketplace is understanding and meeting customer needs. And more change, surely, is on the horizon. Over the next five years, more than 21 billion information devices will be installed globally. Employees are inundated with information coming from multiple angles, and it's harder than ever to keep their attention. For US children, minorities will be the majority by 2020, and millennials will dominate the workforce as we continue to see the decline of Gen X and boomer generations. How do we address growing generational differences at work? 40% of all U.S. factories closed their door in the 2000s. 5.7 million manufacturing jobs have been lost. In the age of globalization, robotics, and artificial intelligence, these jobs may never be recovered, and even more could be lost. And the gap between the rich and poor will continue to grow. In major U.S. cities, we're seeing the precarious financial lives of families played out. In the Asia-Pacific region, McKinsey tells us the explosive growth of China's emerging middle class has brought sweeping economic change and social transformation. By the year 2020, it's estimated that China's middle class will be about 59% of the population. And with this transformation, a new, more globally-minded generation of Chinese workers will exercise a disproportionate influence on the marketplace and bring even greater expectations for better jobs and a higher station in life. Which leads us to ask important questions as we consider the state of companies we know and admire that are undergoing change. What's happening to corporate cultures today? Empathy is in short supply among managers. Why? The world is going to university, but does it really matter when education doesn't guarantee a job or advancement? What happened to pay raises? Where does work end and work-life balance begin? Why do CEOs say one thing, but act differently when it counts? In the year 1835, a young English naturalist and geologist named Charles Darwin was in Chile as a part of his voyage on the HMS Beagle. Darwin was on shore near Valdivia, about 200 miles south of Concepcion, during a magnitude 8.5 earthquake that lasted about two minutes and destroyed much of the city in just six seconds. When he later reached Concepcion, Darwin called the devastation the most awful yet interesting spectacle I ever beheld. The entire city lay in ruins. He spent weeks investigating the effects of the earthquake, during which he found that rocks lined with recent marine shells were now elevated above the tide. The island of Santa Maria was raised an average of about nine feet. Combining his own observations with those of many local people, Darwin worked to reconstruct the events and to understand why it had occurred. He came to connect earthquakes, volcanoes, and vertical movements of the Earth's crust with thousands of successive uplifts over almost endless geological time. His work not only gave early rise to the fields of seismology and volcanology, but also to the origins of his beliefs on evolution. Darwin left us a powerful legacy. As practitioners, we must embrace the same level of vigilance in acting as forensic scientists who are engaged to collect and analyze the evidence of change in companies and to use what we learn to guide and counsel our leaders. Gary Grates is one of the true thought leaders in the field of employee communication. He's a longtime trustee of the Institute for Public Relations and helps to lead the Commission on Organizational Communication which in 2016 conducted new research titled Organizational Clarity, The Case for Workforce Alignment and Belief. In that research, he says that senior executives have to consider the challenges they face in communicating change today. They have more messages than meaning. They have more research than insight. They have more information than knowledge. There are more teams than teamwork. And there are more activities than results. Given these challenges, how do we communicate change? Here's my ten steps. One, you have to define the change. It's all about the why. Two, create a roadmap to help employees visualize the change and see mile markers on the road ahead. Three, always ask, what does the audience need before adopting new tools or tactics that may not bring desired results? Four, listen, communicate, and engage, in that order. Five, create content that is dynamic and accessible. Content is king. Six, be unrelenting and follow up. People want answers, and when we get back to them as promised and keep the communication going, we build trust. Seven, align actions for communication and engagement with the desired culture. Eight. Share the good, the bad, and the ugly examples. Often, we learn more from failure than success. Nine, challenge and involve others at every level to leverage the ethic of contribution that Gen X and millennial generations bring. Ten, keep score to determine outcomes, outgrowths, and value created for the enterprise through new behaviors. In a Fortune magazine survey, 84% of non-networked employees at U.S. companies with more than 1,000 employees said they don't get enough information from management, and 75% said their employers aren't telling them enough about change in policies and goals. In that same survey, 74% of those workers said consistent messages from senior management are important to them. We have to keep one thing in mind. Information isn't transformation. People expect more from us and we must deliver. That's what communicating change is all about. After weathering last year's outbreak of E. coli and norovirus, that sickened hundreds of customers and sliced its quarterly earnings by more than 40 percent. Chipotle is back in the news. Almost 10,000 current and former employees have joined a class action lawsuit and they're alleging that the quick service food company kept them working after they clocked out for the day. Employers must follow federal and state wage and hour laws when calculating overtime pay and minimum wage. They can't ask employees to clock out and then keep them on the job until they decide to let them go home. After the foodborne illnesses were over, Chipotle's founder and CEO, Steve Ells, talked about how customers perceive the company's brand. He said, customers have placed an extraordinary level of trust in us and they've come to know that we will do the right thing when it comes to our food, our employees, and our approach to running a business. Some employees have a different perspective, however. Behind the scenes, Chipotle is not always what it seems, one employee told CNN. I can say that I've worked off the clock. And then there's Wells Fargo, where two class action lawsuits have been filed by former employees who say they were effectively demoted or fired for refusing to engage in fraudulent activities.
1: Uh, North Carolina had an incredible banking uh, culture over decades, and as you know, in acquiring what was then called Wachovia, which was really First Union and Wachovia. The pitch was that your culture from California was very similar to this North Carolina culture, this banking culture. Because what what is so sad to me is that pitch of culture doesn't conform with my experience with my constituents in North Carolina. We're
0: listening to the voice of Republican Congressman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina as he grilled Wells Fargo Chairman and CEO John Stump during a recent hearing. Wells Fargo, an international banking and financial services company is under tremendous scrutiny for opening phony accounts, and its employees have alleged they were badly mistreated and terminated when they failed to meet quotas the bank established for opening new accounts. A Los Angeles Times investigation found a culture that left some employees desperate to reach quotas, whether it was forging signatures or begging family members to open additional accounts. In some cases, employees created fake email addresses and PIN numbers to create more accounts, and customers were charged for overdraft fees after their money was moved without their consent. We were constantly told we would end up working for McDonald's, one manager said. If we did not make the sales quota, we had to stay for what felt like after-school detention or report to a call session on Saturdays. More than 5,000 lower-level employees at Wells Fargo were fired as a result of their actions. In his testimony recently, Representative McHenry delivered pointed criticism to Stump on how Wells Fargo had acted unlawfully, broken trust with key stakeholders, and violated longstanding values and the corporate culture. You clearly have failed.
1: You've clearly failed in your own ethical standards internally. You have broken, and your company has broken, long-standing law. You've broken long-standing ethical standards that you have within your company, and you've defrauded your customers how can you rebuild
0: trust what's really behind this litigation and similar actions that are being brought against companies like kroger grubhub and others some will tell you it's about the money but it's not always what it seems the signs are always there it's the spike in lost days due to illness or accidents it's the increase in unfair labor practice claims it's the lost productivity that comes as a result of a restructuring effort that leaves fewer people behind to take on the extra work of their fallen colleagues. It's the increased turnover in good times and bad. It's the loss in product quality. It's the poor customer service response. It's the employees who feel compelled to engage in fraudulent actions to protect their jobs. Workers report today that they're being marginalized. They say they're being asked to do more with less, to go with the flow and accept wages that have remained stagnant over the last decade to work for managers who are out of touch, overwhelmed and overworked, to operate under flawed people practices, and to endure the unrelenting pace of change. They're asked to be the first line of defense and ambassadors for their brands when their companies are in crisis. While at Yale University in the 60s, a gifted student wrote a paper for his economics class that outlined overnight delivery service in the new computer information age. That student was Fred Smith, who, in 1971, founded FedEx, the global shipping leader, which he still serves as chairman and CEO. He's joked in the past that this paper probably yielded a C or a C plus, but more importantly, the bold thinking it advanced became the foundation for a revolutionary new industry. FedEx has been guided through the years by a unique philosophy that is known as PSP, which stands for people, service, profits. PSP holds that if you take care of people, they will deliver great service and the company in turn can provide a fair profit for its shareholders. I'm certain that Smith will tell us that the way this philosophy is ordered, with people being placed first, followed by service and profits, is always critical. At times in its history, when FedEx has been most challenged, as with organizing efforts by labor unions or in other crises, we've learned that profitability rose to become more prominent at the expense of people and service. There are lessons that Chipotle, Wells Fargo, and others can take from PSP. It's all about how we take care of and lead people. When Mondelez Corporation walked away from a failed bid to acquire Hershey Company this summer, it became the fourth suitor to be spurned since 2002, joining the likes of Nestle, the William Rugley Jr. Company, and Cadbury which also saw their bids for Hershey crash and burn. As with previous offers through the years, Mondelez made a compelling cash-in-stock $23 billion bid that would have created the world's largest candy company. Something bigger was at work, however. As with the earlier offers, the Milton Hershey Trust asked for an even higher bid, but it was not about the money. It was about buying time to delay a decision that might have forever changed Hershey, Pennsylvania the company town that has been described as the sweetest town on earth. The $120 billion Hershey Trust runs Hershey Entertainment and Resorts Company, which controls more than 80% of the chocolate company's voting shares. It also operates the Milton Hershey School for underprivileged children. When Wrigley sought to acquire Hershey, the company had packaged an attractive offer. Then, as in later offers, the big questions were related to whether thousands of Hershey employees, the communities that rely on their jobs, Hershey Park, and even the Milton Hershey School might in some way be affected by post-merger consolidation efforts. In the end, the Hershey Trust couldn't bring itself to accept Wrigley's offer and the deal died. I have no doubt the Hershey Trust watched closely this summer as Mondelez slashed 600 jobs and moved production of the iconic Oreo cookie line to Mexico after 63 years of production in Chicago. That led a local activist to launch what became known as the Oreo Boycott, and within 48 hours, 110,000 people had uploaded her protest to Facebook. Mondelez is all about creating shareholder value. The idea that Hershey's new parent company might break covenants Hershey had made with those who have relied on it for generations surely played a role in the company remaining independent. Of Milton Hershey the man, it's been written that he was a great entrepreneur and a philanthropist who measured success not in dollars but in terms of a good product to pass on to the public and still more in the usefulness of those dollars for the benefits of his fellow men. He understood that good works are also good business and therefore did not lessen the depth or scope of his interest in the welfare of others. We all make choices in life, choices that affect our reputations and how we operate. The legendary public relations leader Al Golan said that choices we make have a profound effect on the trust bank, which is a reservoir of goodwill that helps to protect the reputation of a company with its stakeholders. We either make deposits in the trust bank or we bankrupt it. Examples like these are important lessons to remember and to share with our colleagues as well as with our leaders during moments of truth. Meeting with fellow trustees of the Planck Center for Leadership and Public Relations almost a decade ago, we began a conversation about the need for equipping educators with the knowledge and experience needed to prepare students for the challenges that public relations professionals face in their career. We designed the Planck Fellowship for Educators program specifically for PR educators with the dual purpose of exposing them to current day-to-day operations of the public relations function and to help create an exchange of information and ideas to enhance the professional development of both the educators and the practitioner host. Seven years later, we've now placed 60 public relations educators in two-week summer assignments with 24 of the world's best global companies, agencies, and not-for-profit organizations. Nine world-class public relations agencies and corporations stepped up to be hosts in 2016. Four public relations firms, burson Marsteller, Ketchum, Devaney Communications, and Weber-Shanwick, were joined by five corporate hosts, American Airlines, General Motors, Home Depot, Cox Communications, and Darden Restaurants. Dr. Chris Wilson, Assistant Professor in the Department of Communications at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, served as a Plank Educator Fellow at American Airlines in Dallas. Tony Cervone, Chief Communications Officer at General Motors in Detroit, was a host, marking the fourth time that GM has sponsored an educator. I caught up with Chris and Tony recently to get their thoughts and feedback about the program.
2: You know, sometimes I stand up there and, you know, it's in the book, but I kind of question myself. And so it was, you know, nice to go back out there and kind of get some validation that some of the things or most of the things we're doing in the classroom are right on with what the industry is requiring. But then to also kind of get an idea of where the industry is going, so that I can kind of adapt and adjust and better prepare students for the future.
0: Chris Wilson worked in municipal government and the not-for-profit worlds before becoming an educator. When I asked what led him to become a Plank Fellow, he talked about the importance of grounding his academic research in the realities of corporate communications and bringing greater authenticity and street creds to his teaching. You
2: know, it's funny, as I've gone through school and gone through my career, You know, I, I think a lot of us never lose the sense of kind of the fraud syndrome, that <laughs> you, know, you never feel like you're there yet in terms of what you're doing. Um, And I kind of certainly still feel that way as an educator and, you know, to stand in front of students in the classroom and to teach them about how the industry is or the kinds of things they'll be doing on the job. You know, sometimes I stand up there and, you know, it's in the book, but I kind of question myself. And so it was, you know, nice to go back out there and kind of get some validation that some of the things or most of the things we're doing in the classroom are right on with what the industry is requiring, but then to also kind of get an idea of, of where the industry is going so that I can kind of adapt and adjust and better prepare students for the future. Just being in academia, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm only five years removed from, from being in the industry, but the five years seems like an eternity once I step back out there and see how far things have progressed. So. Just to be in touch, um, to, to understand what's going on, and to know what kinds of concerns public relations people have nowadays you know, helps in terms of teaching in the classroom, but also helps in terms of understanding where I need to go with my research.
3: If you get real-life examples and and can use those, then uh, you know it, it brings to life what it is that uh, that they're trying to teach in the classroom. And so, um, having that um, ability to work together again and again and, and year in and year out, and have that multiplied over multiple different universities, uh, I think is, is an effective way to 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 play our role in in trying to advance our profession.
0: Tony Servone is recognized as one of the world's top communications executives based on his leadership with companies like Daimler Chrysler, United Airlines, Volkswagen USA, and GM. He believes the Fellowship for Educators program builds on GM's philosophy of creating a learning culture for both the educator and his team of practitioners. It also helps to introduce rich ideas that are grounded in research and a breadth of knowledge outside their company and the automotive industry.
3: I, I sincerely believe in a learning culture and so from a selfish point of view having the relationship with some of the educators that come in with very specialized skills whether it's social or analytical or or any of the uh, the internal communications, uh, social, corporate social responsibility, any of those um, and having them focus in on that for two weeks um, gives us an opportunity to learn new things and, and it models for the organization A kind of continuous learning culture that we're trying to build. Um, For both of us, I believe that it creates kind of a networking opportunity where we're building out networks of, of people that we can refer to and ask questions and build relationships with And we found that we continue the relationships long after the the two week session is over Uh, we send people down for specific classes it's really motivating for our people to go down and talk Um, it doesn't always have to be the CCO it doesn't have to be even really senior leadership it's in oftentimes it's people that are growing their careers and really expert in a specific area and, and have the opportunity to talk to students and And that works in a networking in so many different ways, with the schools, with the students, with different professors, and with specifically the Plank Fellows that are there. And then finally, I think the last reason um, that we're really involved in in something that's passionate to many of us in the organization, and certainly to me specifically, is is we're trying to advance the profession. And if you get real life examples and, and can use those, then, uh, you know it it brings to life what it is that uh, that they're trying to teach in the classroom. And so um, having that um, ability to work together again and again and, and year in and year out, and have that multiplied over multiple different universities, uh, I think is is an effective way to 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 play our role in in trying to advance our professions.
0: As a takeaway from his work with American Airlines corporate communications team, Wilson was struck by the critical role of employee engagement, the specialization of the almost 100 member corporate communications team, and the always on speed at which the airline industry moves 24 7, 365.
2: I've been involved with the Institute for Public Relations and seeing the research that's been kind of published there, especially the, the things that are focused on organizational communication and employee engagement. And that was the first thing that really stuck out to me. Uh, about my experience in American Airlines was their focus on internal communication and employee engagement and how important that was to them, not just um, from the corporate communications perspective, but from a business strategy perspective, um, that it's, it's an integral part of their operation and it's kind of the key focus of what they're doing and it worked out so I was able to be there for some key uh, meetings and experiences. That kind of let me see not not just hear about but let me see kind of their how they how they go about doing this employee engagement kind of thing I was there for an all-hands employee meeting of their um, people in communications department and everybody from HR and corporate com there and essentially hearing the presentation that they gave to the board of directors about what they're doing and where they're going so that was a really cool eye-opening experience of kind of the, the top-level perspective of, of the, their strategy for employee engagement. Um, and it was really interesting to go into a department, Ron's department's like 100 people just doing corporate communication, and to see that the specialization involved in the department, that there are people who just focus on external communication, or people who just focus on internal, or people who just focus on community relations, people who focus on Uh, labor relations, and it was all these different segmented groups and social media that do their own thing, but at the same time have to work together to get the job done. And just talking to them to see what what their piece of the puzzle was, and then also to figure out how that puzzle all fits together was really an interesting opportunity and experience for me.
0: Servone said that corporate communicators can sometimes become insular in their work, and having educators bring the outside perspective during their fellowship is invaluable to his team. He also believes that it's important for educators to interact with the corporate teams and get a real sense of the pace of work in PR, the skills required, and the caliber of talent expected in today's companies. And while much has changed in the field of corporate communications over the past several years, the media landscape, the global nature of the business, the always on mentality, Servone believes much has stayed the same. He said that writing, storytelling, relationship building, media relations, data, and insights remain critical core competencies in what continues to be an exciting and challenging career choice.
3: From our perspective, we end up learning um, kind of what are the new thinkings that are going on from the academic world and what are they looking at and what are they seeing in, in kind of a very uh, broad stroked way, uh, which is which is very effective for us to kind of keep our eyes open to trends and, and developments that are going on. As, as you know, you get into an organization, certainly an organization as big as General Motors. And, and you can get very specific very quickly, and you can, you can get tunnel vision if you're not careful. And as much as we read, and we're all widely read and, and, uh, and, and have diverse um, interests, so we read a lot, and we stay, we stay up to speed on things um, in terms of what developments are going on specifically in our industry and, and in our profession, it's still nice to have that broader perspective that comes from, from an academic. And I think on, on, on the part of the, the academic side, I think the ability to, to get into an organization and and pick people's brains but then see the, the the type of caliber of people that are that are working in in professional organizations and and really the pace at which it runs. I think that's one of the things if you ask the educators that come in to to our work and I'm sure that into other companies as well we're not unique in this is is they're they're kind of amazed at the at the constant pace that uh, that the team has to run at and the agility. Needed for um, for success in an organization, and I think it's really important to take back and and build off of as we kind of bridge this gap. As I said, um, you know, core skills are core skills. Though we, we still we still need relationship building skills. We still need writing skills. We still need the ability to create storytelling, and, and those are really core to what uh, to what we do day in and day out. Um, but the, the educators help us further develop those, and I think, I think there's a quid pro quo that's, uh, that's very fair and uh, very healthy, frankly.
0: And what will Wilson and Servone do differently as a result of their experiences with the Fellowship for Educators program? Wilson said the first thing he'll do is to remind students that learning communication skills in their education is not enough. Those entering the professional world will be expected to operate at a much higher level, to know the industry in which their company operates, and to know the business strategy.
2: My main takeaway back for my students was that communicate, learning communication skills isn't enough for them to get into a job like a job at, at American Airlines. They, they have to know more than just what we're Kind of teach them about the public relations process and the things that students typically learn in a public relations program um, and they've got to be able to bring more to the table so something that was really important for for the people working in Ron's office was they really had to know the airline industry but then they also really had to know the operation and there were a number of cases where there were people working in the community in the corporate comms office who had really didn't have communications backgrounds but they had really deep and extensive knowledge about the airline industry or about American Airlines operation itself. And that's one thing that I've been emphasizing with my students ever since then is this idea that, you know, you need these baseline skills in communication, but those are just table stakes. It's like, you got to know this, but you've got to bring something else to the table. You've, you know, whether going out and doing internships or getting a minor or something else, you've got to have some kind of additional knowledge that's going to help set you apart from, from the other people who may not have that kind of knowledge and are still trying to get the job, you know, kind of knowing the high standards and the high stakes uh, that employees face out there um, and being able to communicate to that, to the, that to the students helps out quite a bit.
0: Among several important takeaways, Servone says, is the opportunity that host organizations like GM have to build stronger relationships with educators and their schools, which helps pave the way for identifying the best talent for future needs. He said that GM, like other great global brands, is always working to gain an advantage in the war for talent and wants to be associated with the world's leading schools in public relations education.
3: It creates that relationship with the university in general and with the educators specifically. And that opens opportunities for us to engage um, on a student level and and on the university level. Whenever we do go to revisit, we tend to, to ask for meetings with the entire faculty to talk about what they're seeing, what they believe, what they see challenges, but then we have the opportunity to say, here's what we think we're going to need on a go-forward basis. Um, There is a huge fight out there for talent, no matter what industry you're in and no matter what profession we're in today, there is a a thirst for the best talent and the ability to have the relationship with uh, both universities and educators allows us to have that that engagement, and frankly we use it. Um, we we treat these visits very straightforwardly as uh, potential recruiting visits uh, for internships. We have a very solid track record to, to hire um, interns um, after they're done with their internship programs, um, not all of them obviously, but a percentage of them every year. And then we put them in a rotational assignment now for a couple year period where, I think it's actually a three year period where they um, experience different as, uh, aspects of uh, communications here at General Motors, and so having that relationship, I think, is, is the basis for a lot of that. And frankly, with the reputation of uh, of Planck and its role in academia um, overall, we know that we're getting you know not only cream of the crop in terms of. Uh, the educators coming in, but they typically represent the best uh, universities that are, that are focused on communications, and that's a win-win for everybody, I think.
0: As we close this report, I want to remind our listeners that the Planck Center will begin its 2017 recruitment for educators and host organizations over the coming weeks. Those who are interested in this program can visit our website, at www.plankcenter.ua.edu. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Have a question, comment, or an idea for a future episode? We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at uskeithburton. You can also reach us on email at podcast at or on our contact page, graceandemmittpartners.com slash podcast. Walking the Labyrinth is produced by Keith and Jarrett Burton for Grace and Emmett Partners. Until next time. Thank you